Let's pray. God, thank you for beautiful message and music and for a great day in your house thus far. And we pray, Lord, as we look into the scriptures that you'll speak to us. God, that you'll challenge us, that we will obey you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, that was great. That was great. Choir, you did wonderful too. What a we just need to say amen and go home, don't we? Whoa. Paula, was that Ronnie? That's the second thing I've heard him say tonight. It's, it's, uh, I know. I know. Okay. <clears throat> now, I have no idea what I'm fixing to say. <laughs> you know, we have a tendency uh, to, to, to gawk at the negative, don't we? To... To look at uh, or be drawn to what is not good. If you're surfing the internet, and I'm talking about good surfing, you're looking at the news, you will see almost every night celebrities without makeup. You know, you can go, you can go look at celebrity or celebrities who shouldn't be in bathing suits. Well, goodness Christ, I shouldn't be in a bathing suit. I'm not going to go look at somebody else who shouldn't be in a bathing suit. I, I was walking through the, the uh, Super One line the other day, you know, and you look at those magazines. Bill Clinton has an affair with an alien. I have to admit, I stopped and started reading. You know, you're just drawn because, one, you think, well, could that be true? Uh, are two, you know, but you just, you're just, we have a tendency to be drawn toward things that, <laughs> that are the, the worst. And even in Christianity, sadly, what, what has drawn attention to our faith, a lot of times is the negative, correct? I mean, that's what gets the press is when a minister or a church falls or when there's trouble. But this evening in Hebrews 13, verses 1 through 3, we are going to look at Christianity at its best. And it's beautiful, it's Christianity at its best, and it's Christianity as Jesus Christ intended for it to be. Here's the first thing from Hebrews 13. Christians, when they're at their best, they should love each other warmly as family. Now, when I worked on this this week, I thought a lot of you don't love your family warmly. So I put the word should in there because we should love our biological family warmly. As Christians, we are family in Jesus Christ. Now, if you've been with us, we started in Hebrews in, in January, and we're going to backtrack a little bit uh, in the next few weeks, even look at it some on Sunday morning, so we're not finished with it. But Hebrews is a very deep theological book, correct? I mean, it's not easy. It has been sawing uh, deep through the, the wood to get to the core he ends this book, God through whoever the writer was, and with some tremendously practical things. In verse 1, he says, keep on loving each other as brothers. What he's saying here is he's saying if you're saved, your brother and sister in Jesus Christ is family. And I want you to love them as such. If you were here this morning, and you've heard me say this before, if you've been here, the New Testament was written in Greek, four, four Greek words for our one English word, love. Three of those are found in the Bible. One is the word agape, which was the word today for loving your enemy. That's the choosing benevolent 
uh, an act of love more than an emotion or a feeling. Eros uh, is the sexual word for love, never found in the New Testament. There's another word for a family-type love that's found a few times. But the word used here, not used very often, but the word used here is the word phileia. And it literally means a brotherly love. Philadelphia, the city of Philadelphia, is called the city of brotherly love. It is named after the Greek word phileia. Phileia is different from agape. Agape is choosing to be nice and kind to that enemy even. Phileia is is a warm, affectionate love that people have for each other because they have a special bond. The early church was very eclectic. Uh, in fact, probably most early churches, had, they, you know, they hadn't t- had time yet to get mad at each other and be splitting and have 15 churches all over the place. So in a church, you might have sitting right near each other a slave and a master. You might have a Jewish person and a Gentile who had previously hated each other and who are now saved. Then you might have a, a Roman soldier or a Roman citizen. And you had very poor people and you had very wealthy people. And you had them all together in this hodgepodge. And what was happening is when they became in Jesus Christ, they began to like each other. Isn't that a weird thing? You know the problem in a lot of churches where they treat each other mean is a lot of the people in the church are just lost. When Jesus comes into your heart, he changes your love ticker. That's the truth. Real profound, but it's the truth. And he's telling them, guys, the greatest thing and the greatest indicator that you know Christ, the greatest thing you can say to the world is that you love each other. John 13, 35, Jesus said, If you know Revelation in Greek... You will show the world that you know me. Is that what it says? By this all, read this with me. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now it's interesting here. He says, keep on loving each other as brothers. Many scholars believe they were beginning to wane in their love for each other. You go back to Hebrews 10, they were already beginning to become slack in their church attendance. Remember when he said, don't neglect coming to church. Now he's telling them, hey, you're starting to grow a little bit. Your knowledge is getting more developed, but your love is lacking. And he says, don't wane in your love for each other. The the Greek word keep there literally is the word that means a monument. This is very interesting. And what he's saying here is you ought to build a monument Maybe we should do this literally with the word love on it. And that ought to be the thing that reminds us that after loving Jesus Christ, the next most important thing we do in this building is love each other. Have a monument to your love for each other. Don't you go to a Sunday school class and talk about people. Don't you go out in the hallway and talk about people. Don't you come in here and ignore people. You love each other. And what God's saying Now, they were beginning to struggle with this. What about you and me? You got to agree on some basics. But love's the super glue. You can be theologically right and die and go to hell. You don't really love people unless you have Christ in your heart. The greatest indicator tonight of your spiritual maturity is not your knowledge. It's your love for other people. Let me repeat that. 
The greatest indicator of my spiritual maturity or your spiritual maturity is not your ability to win a debate. It's how you love other people. How you love your enemy. How you love the difficult people. How do we love each other? Most of us are out kicking our coverage. If you don't know what that means, that means is that we know a lot more than we do. Amen? (laughs) Our knowledge is a lot greater than our obedience. What a beautiful thing he says to them. Keep on loving each other. And love each other like you like each other. It's okay to smile and be happy and hug and be affectionate. That's the way Christians should be and they are at their best. Isn't that a good word? What a, what a great word. But he expands this because it'd be easy to have a holy huddle. And he tells us the next thing, when Christians are at their best, they show hospitality and love to strangers. It starts in this room, but it expands from this room. We love and show hospitality to strangers. Look in verse 2. Do not forget to entertain strangers. For if by so doing, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. He begins by saying, don't forget. wonder if they were forgetting to do this. Don't be neglectful or don't be unmindful of the stranger. To entertain. What does the biblical word entertain mean? It means to care for. Sometimes you hear the word hospitality, you think, oh, that's a committee and I don't have that gift. Hospitality literally means to make people feel at home. It means to make people feel welcome. You know, the only gift you have to have of that is common sense and niceness. Amen? Some people are more maybe blessed with being able to do that on a larger scale. But every Christian should be hospitable. I love this. The word stranger there, don't forget to entertain strangers, is an adjective. It means a foreigner. It means someone unusual. How many of you are unusual? Let me say some of you are. You really are. It means someone who's different, different of color, different of nationality. Now, here's the catch here. At some point in your life and my life, we're all strangers, aren't we? We really are. We're, We're the foreigner. We're the one who is outside. Now, here's what's interesting. The ancient world honored hospitality. How many of you have heard of the Greek god Zeus before? Zeus was actually the god of strangers. The the Greek world honored strangers. And Christianity certainly stepped in this gap, and it was very natural. The, the, The inns in this day were terrible for the most part. You didn't have a Holiday Inn Express. Al didn't have a sleep inn. Uh, you, you, you had these, these, basically they were inns that might just be a, a covered place for you and your family to get under and a place to tie your animals to. They were notorious for prostitution, for criminals, for thieves. It was not doing someone a favor to say, let's give the Hanches a place in the inn tonight. That was not a nice thing. Remember when Jesus, uh, Joseph and Mary couldn't go in the inn, that was probably a favor to them. They got to sleep in the barn instead of the inn. So what people did 2,000 years ago is you took them into your home. Someone came to town, came to your village that was a stranger. You welcomed them into their house. I read this week of a a lady, a first century lady in Corinth named Juna Theodora. Juna was actually honored by the Roman government for her hospitality. Now listen to this. Ladies, I want you to think about this. Juna actually had 30 tables in her house. This chick had a big place, didn't she? 
30 tables that were reserved for strangers, open 24-7. 12 separate tables for widows in the community to come in. How many of you agree she should have been honored? Uh, Amen to that lady. She was something else. Now, folks, I want to tell you, that's probably not going to ever happen in my house. You're welcome, but you may be sitting on the floor or eating on a coffee table. How does that translate today versus having 30 tables in your house for a stranger? I think one way it translates today is the hotel, is the, the, the gift certificate to a restaurant. How do, you, how do you take in or help a stranger off the street today? You know, I would be really upset at my wife, especially if I was out of town, if she brought four men home who were, who were hitchhiking to spend the night in our house. Men, do you agree with that? But you know what she could do? Call Josh and have him do that. No, I'm teasing. She could, <laughs> she, could, she, could, she could make sure they got to a hotel and got a place to stay. She could make sure they had a food card for the next day. She could make sure they had gas for the next day. You see, the methods of hospitality have changed. In fact, hotels and motels, if I'm a stranger on the road, I'd rather stay in a hotel than in someone's house I didn't know. Life has changed drastically that way. But the principle of hospitality has not. And what God says is, listen, make people feel welcome. God forbid someone ever comes in this church and they don't feel welcome. We should be spanked if that happens. We really should. If someone leaves and they didn't feel welcome, we have failed. We have failed. The person on the street, the person in the community... Maybe it's just you can give them $5. Well, I don't know. They may go buy liquor with it. You know what? At some point, that's their deal if they misuse what I ha- how I help them. The guy says, we need to be kind to the person who's on the outside. And he says this, you never know who they are. Look in verse 2. Some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Now, certainly, he's going back to Genesis 18 where Abraham had some guys show up. You remember that? Boys meeting, and it happened to be some really high (laughs) spiritual people. Same thing happened to Gideon. Let me share with you a few stories, true stories. In June of 2001, a man named Gary in Rochester, New York, was coming home from work. He was late. He had been out of town. He wanted to get home and see his family. He was tired. He noticed as he was coming upon the Janice River that there was commotion down by the river. And as he was driving by, he saw that there was a boy in the water that was struggling. And people had gathered around, but no one was getting out to do anything. Gary wanted to get home. He was tired. He wanted to get home to his family. But he thought, you know what? (laughs) If that kid drowns, that's going to bother me the rest of my life. He gets out of his car. He dives in the water. He grabs the kid as he's pulling the kid to the water. I'm not kidding. It was his own son. You think he regrets that stop and help a stranger? Do you think he would have ever got over the rest of his life speeding home past his drowning son? Unbelievable, isn't it? True story. A little less dramatic, but maybe eternally different. Last week, two weeks ago at Bible school, on Friday, a lady stopped me over here, and uh, she brought her son and her son's friend to Bible school this week, and she said, do you remember me? And well, as a pastor, that's a terrible thing to ask a pastor, because I can't lie, and I probably do, so I have to be spiritual. Well, 
I, 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 we met at some point, you know, it's, it's, because that's probably true, right? Right? Reggie, we met at some point. So, so I said, well, I, I think maybe so. And she said, well, a year ago, so a year ago, my son and I were, were traveling, and we, they, they live in this area, but they kind of got out of pocket, and they came back here. They didn't have any money. They didn't have any gas. They didn't have any food. They came in the office. I, I did not remember this story at all. And she said that they came in, and our secretaries went and got them a Coke. And it must have been on a Monday. We had extra donuts, and that I went and got them donuts. Now, for me to give people donuts is a, that's a, that's a, I'm pushing myself because. <laughs> and, then, and then Clayton, or Justin, went and got him a McDonald's gift card. Just real simple stuff. And she said, you cannot believe how that blessed us. She brought her kids back to Bible school a year later, and they got saved. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? And I, went, I, I had zero hardly to do I just gave a donut, probably even unwillingly. <laughs> That is so awesome, though. That is so awesome. About 11 years ago in Texas, we were having Bible schools in the middle of the day. Bible school is one of the great times of the year, but it's also pretty stressful for us ministers, you know, because we normally only work one day a week. Now we've got to be here all week, so it's really tough. And I, so I had snuck back to my office. I'd gotten back in there. I thought I was away from everybody. And I hear somebody had got past my secretary, and they had a British voice. And they said, is the vicar here? Is the vicar here? Well, being cultured, I knew exactly they were looking for me. Vicar is, is, uh, is English for pastor, our minister. And I said, oh, I love you. I, I'm the vicar. I'm the vicar. I've been called a lot of things. I've never been called a vicar before. So this guy comes in my office, never seen him before. I doubt I'll ever see him again. He sits down. He says, I'm in America for two weeks just visiting, just traveling around. I saw your church. Can you tell me how to become a Christian? I said, I think I can help you with that. And we sat and visited for 10 minutes. And he prayed and he asked Jesus to be his Lord and Savior right there in my office. I gave him a Bible and some books and shook his hand. This was kind of before email and all had gotten well known, so we didn't really swap addresses. And he walked out. And I plan on seeing him in heaven. But I think of how many times I've blown those stories. When I've been too busy. When I've had too much going on. When the stranger came by and I wasn't there for him. Our challenge is, is to treat that stranger like we want to be treated. Is to be hospitable and welcoming to the foreigner. It may just be an average person, but an average person is the one Jesus Christ died for, just like you and me. It may be an angel unaware is what the Bible said. It may be your own kin. But Christians at their best not only love each other, but they love the stranger and the one who's not like them or the one they don't know. And he gives us one last beautiful command here. And to say it's a beautiful command, it is, because it is a command, but it's beautiful. He says, when Christians are at their best, they love and feel with those who are hurting and in need. When Christians are at their best, not only do they love each other, they love the stranger, but they love and feel with those who are hurting and in need. In verse 3, 
Remember those who are in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners and those who were mistreated as you yourselves were suffering. Let's talk about prison first. Prison here, we talked about this a few weeks ago, probably meant two people. It meant criminals, but it also meant Christians who were being arrested and being prosecuted and persecuted. And the jails, in, and it's very likely, you look in the, the end of this chapter, uh, he talks about those from Italy send their greetings. It's very possible this letter was coming from Rome. And, and particularly in Rome, there were two types of prisons. There was the house arrest. You remember Paul was under house arrest at one point, and house arrest was not a great thing. It was not a terrible thing, but you were still confined. You were still guarded, and you were still very dependent on other people. The other prison in Rome is called the Mamertine Prison, and it was terrible. In fact, there were two levels. Vance, have you ever seen this prison before, you and Cherry? You've seen it before? To get to the second level, probably where Paul and Peter may have been kept before they were killed... It was, it was actually, you had to basically crawl through a hole in the floor to get down into the dungeon. It was terrible. And when they talked about prisons, they were probably talking about house arrest, and they were talking about these nasty dungeons. Now, folks, here's the deal. 2,000 years ago in Rome, if you went to jail or house arrest, you were not taken care of. Maybe water, maybe a little bit of food, but you, even your basic necessities were not taken care of. You were human property. You, there was no kind of a fancy computer systems that you were going to be worked through the system in a, in a certain amount of time. You were largely dependent on family members and friends to come and bring you food, to, to bring you necessities, to take care of you. So it was a very dire situation. Even if a person was a convicted criminal, it was still brutal, brutal mistreatment. The problem is, was when you went to go see that person, you became identified with them. So you go see Vance, the Christian missionary preacher in prison, and he's there because he's a Christian missionary missionary preacher. You are also getting stained by that, that, uh, that identification. So it was risky and it was dangerous. But here's what he said. He said, don't you forget those in prison. Be mindful of them. Always go back to Matthew 7, 12. Matthew 7, 12. In everything, do unto others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Even today, when we know people who are in jail, maybe they're in jail because they should be in jail. Maybe they violated the law and they're, they're, they're where they're supposed to be. You know what? They're just as much a human as you and I are. God says, be mindful of them. And don't forget them. And I love this last part he puts in here too. Not only those in prison, but those who are mistreated as if you yourself were suffering. The word mistreated there has to do with being hurt or someone facing adversity. And he's saying when someone's in prison or in a desperate situation, or maybe their marriage is falling apart, or maybe their family's falling apart, or maybe they're unhappy, or they're sad, or their business is falling apart. He says, put yourself in their shoes. I've always had a hard time separating sympathy from empathy, but the best way I get it is sympathy is you hurt for them. Empathy is you hurt with them. And what he's saying here is, I want you to put yourself in their shoes and hurt with them. 
You know, the old Indian saying, walk a few moons in someone else's moccasins. That's exactly what God's saying. Here's a great principle to practice, folks. We ought to practice all the time. We ought to stop and pause in our minds, and we ought to think, what if I was in jail tonight? What if it was me who had who had had the devastating week? What if it was me whose life was falling apart? What if it was me whose family was in disarray? How would I think? How would I want to be treated? And that's what God's saying. I want you to treat them as you want to be treated. Look what he says. Remember these people. Remember these people. Don't forget them. And those who are mistreated as you yourself were suffering. Folks, how hard is it for us to pray for people who are in trouble? How hard for is, is it today for us to email or text or, or write a letter, even a, just a short card or letter to somebody? Even if maybe occasionally when you can to drive to the jail and see somebody. That's what Matthew 7, 12 is all about. It's treating them how you would want to be treated. The pro- you know why we don't do that? Is we don't get in their shoes. You don't have to get in their physical shoes. You get in your head in their shoes. I remember a really sad story with, with, with two of my friends several years ago. One of them had had some bad things happen, made some bad decisions, got themselves in trouble. And they told me, that one of our mutual friends, who is a minister, never called them, never wrote them, never contacted them. Two years later, when they finally talked, the minister told our mutual friend, he said, well, I just didn't know what to say, so I just didn't do anything. And I wanted to say to him, why are you in the ministry? You, You know what? Here's the problem. You don't have to say something great. You just need to be there. See, that, that's, that's what stumbles us is we think we got to go with all the wisdom. All people really want is us to come with a little bit of love. And he's saying this here. He's saying, listen, don't lose from your mind and your heart those who are down and out. Put yourself in their shoes and show them love. My grandmother, my dad's mama, used to have a quote on her wall. It was by a French Quaker named Stephen Gerlay. And it said something like this, I will pass through this world but once. Any good, any kindness that I can do or show to any human, let me do it now because I may not pass this way again. I would rephrase that a little bit and say, if you pass this way every day, do it every day. Christians at their best, loving each other, loving the stranger, loving and reaching out to the one who's hurting and in need. You know what? If we'll lift that banner up and live that banner out, we will fly high for Jesus Christ. You're not a Christian tonight. Christianity at its best, Christianity at its truth is a beautiful thing. Come give your life to Christ tonight. Maybe you're here tonight and you're looking for a church to join. I promise you we're not perfect, but we want to be a church at its best. Come and join us tonight. And I would challenge all of you believers, starting with me on all the way to the back, 
Are we doing these things? And if not, will we repent tonight and set our course to do it? Let's stand. As God leads you, you respond to him.